Greetings and hello to everyone. This is the Business of Betting podcast, and I'm your host, Jake Williams. Today is part two of episode seven. We have Josh Lloyd returning to the podcast. Josh is a lead fantasy basketball analyst at Basketball Monster, the man behind the mic on the Locked On Fantasy Basketball podcast, and founder of Red Rock Fantasy Basketball. In this two part episode, Josh talks about all things NBA, DFS, and how the daily fantasy industry is evolving. As always, you can find us at businessofbetting.com or at bettingpod on Twitter. Please fire in any questions or feedback and potential guests that you would like to hear from. So thank you for listening and I hope you enjoy my chat with Josh Lloyd. So what's a typical week for you then? Obviously you've got other other things to do but for a typical dfs player are you sort of following a, a rigid structure are you watching a lot of games and then putting in your lineups at a certain time every day and and doing that over and over or is, is it the same for everyone um i don't think it's the same for everyone for me it, it involves obviously that the timing of, of games here is, is different so you're during the, the bulk of the nba season the game started at 11 a.m where i am so you you get up in the morning um I have my work to do for Basketball Monster in terms of you know, monitoring uh, the news that's happening, you know, putting out our, our updates and adjusting our projections when players are ruled in, ruled out, starting lineup changes. So I have that stuff to do. But before my sort of time on the clock with, the, with, the, with that starts, I go through and, and read up you know, what's happened in the past six hours that I've been asleep. What, what's the, the latest news on players' statuses, who's in, who's out, and then start to build my lineups from there. But I've already done you know, two, three hours research the day before in preparing to do the podcast and then speaking about you know, the DFS portion for 40 minutes there and have my base research and then coming in the next morning and saying, all right, so what's changed from where I, where I mentioned it last night, what is, what's altered, and then build lineups from there, which you know, I, I honestly don't spend hours building lineups because I spend hours doing the, the work beforehand. But when I come in, I go, this is what I want to do. Let's have a look at what's changed. Let's build them. Stick them in and go from there. So I'm sure there's DFS players listening who aren't professionals. Is there any sort of basic useful tips or tools you could give them? Because I, I certainly play DFS for NFL every now and then. Is there something on the NBA side that you can say, look, here's two or three things that you can sort of implement that will help you win at a better rate than you are, even if you are just a casual player and, and you want to put in 10 or 20 bucks uh, in, a, in a match, sorry, in a in a, a lineup and, and go from there. Is there any sort of one or two tools that you have in mind? The obviously we, we run our tools over at Basketball Monster with our with our projection. So that's that's the number one thing that, that I'm using. You know, I'm I'm creating it but I'm also using them when I'm doing my laps. But it's you know, one thing that I find that people do that ends up with them making mistakes is that they will, they'll look for plays or, or guys that they want to use and they'll look at this player and say who's going to score the most points today who's going to score the most fantasy points and they'll say it's russell westbrook it's uh, it's james harden it's it's lebron this guy is going to have the most points let's put him in a lineup and that's not the way that i like to look at it because that that's fine but we're always talking about points to salary ratio like that's what the game is based on yeah so you could easily win by not having the best 
two guys in because their price point might be so prohibitive that everyone else you've got to put in becomes so far undervalued that it doesn't work. So I look for who's the value play, who's who's in, who's out. Is is Chris Paul out tonight? So Austin Rivers is starting at point guard, and he's going to be pricing six thousand dollars less and might give you eighty percent of the value that Chris Paul gave you. So therefore, Austin Rivers is the guy that starts in my lineup. He's the first guy that's in there, and I go, let's build around that. Where else is the value? Who else has been slumping and seen their price drop way down? And there's reasons for it. Like, why has this player shot 30% from the field for the last week? And consequently, their their price has now dropped by $2,000. They're not going to continue to shoot 30%. They're going up against a team that allows the highest field goal percentage in the league. Everything, all these factors are, are coming together. So that guy comes into my lineup, even though he's not a player that's going to get 50 points or 60 points. But he might get 40 points and cost me $4,000. So that's, a, that's a, a clear win to put him in there as well. And then you build your lineup around that. And then at the end, you might have that $12,000 left over. And you've created all that. And you go, shit, I've got $12,000 left over. I can actually put LeBron in now and feel comfortable about it. And then that's just a cherry on top rather than building with that and trying to find the, the bargains around it. I like to go with these are the guys who are going to give me you know, just a real boost on what I need to do and uh, in a great spot. And then let's let's fill in the gaps around them rather than the other way around. Interesting, because uh, I mean, I certainly, I guess you only hear the outrageous examples. But how efficient are the salaries in the NBA DFS? Um, yeah, look, they're, they're pretty good. They're, they're, they're fairly sharp, but the most value you get off them because they're done like forty-eight hours in advance in, in general. So when news breaks in the 24 hours, 12 hours before, that's where the value really comes. So when there's you know, rumors of say, or you know, LeBron and Kyrie are gonna sit for the Cavs for the next game two days away, then Fangio will come out and go, all right, we're bumping Richard Jefferson, we're bumping Darren Williams. Kevin Love's getting a $1,000 bump in advance because we know that Kyrie and LeBron are gonna sit this game, so those prices are gonna go up. But if that news comes out 24 hours before the game starts, then they, they can't adjust their prices. So that's that's where you really attack. And that's where you look at it was some weird injury news. Did, did a trade go down and those players can't join the team for the next 24 hours? So the other guys have to play 38 minutes instead of 30 minutes. Like that sort of, that's where the value comes because they do set those prices, you know, 48 hours in advance. So that, that new, that window in between is where that value can really, really jump up and you can get that from there. But otherwise, their pricing is generally okay, but there's always some weird anomalies. I mean, there's always certain players on some sites that are overpriced and underpriced, and guys like Brooke Lopez was the real key example to this. Like He'd always have like a $2,000 price difference between FanDuel and DraftKings, so he'd always be a great player on DraftKings and a terrible player on FanDuel. And there are certain players like that. I never understood why this certain players would always sit that, sit that way, but you could always work that out and say, well, this this continues to remain a good play here, but a, but a bad play over there. So do you think it'll ever get to a stage where those salaries are dynamic? Because an example from this season, Cavs and Spurs, when the information about you know LeBron, maybe Kyrie, maybe sitting the from the betting side, the odds went from basically you know minus one or two up to minus eight or nine, and then back down to minus one or two within you know two hours. So in that situation, the bookmakers obviously can move the line and, and account for that. It doesn't sound like that's at all possible in DFS with the way the salaries are structured and fixed. Is that correct? Yeah, no, they can't do that because they set the contests up in advance to try and get volume in. 
So if you're waiting to two hours before and then you're changing the salaries, well, then you have to start a whole new tournament and you have to try and get that volume in two hours instead of 48 hours. So they're looking for that volume. So they set the price. And again, it's because you know, people are going against each other. It's not that these sites aren't losing money because you know, LeBron sat and, and Richard Jefferson started in his place and like, oh my God, we're getting killed because LeBron's out and there's this value opened up for Richard Jefferson. They're not the ones that are losing the money. It's about the players going against each other. So I don't ever, I can't ever see how, you know, dynamic salary changing is going to be a part of it. They set these up two days in advance, get the volume in, volume in, play it in that way. And then people make their, their adjustments as the news comes, comes out, but the salaries remain fixed. And I, I think that's the best way to go about it. Yeah, it may even be impossible. Obviously, with sports betting, it's a one-click scenario, whereas DFS is more about the lineup and having four, five, six, seven players in your team, depending on which sport it is. So it sounds like it may just be too difficult. Do you think you could have a situation where you could essentially have sort of... I don't know. I'm just trying to think out loud with the dynamic stuff. It's probably a difficult scenario, given they want to have everyone to have plenty of time to put their lineups in. And in that Cavs-Spurs example... There's really nothing you can do. Would there be a huge problem? Because everyone's just going to take Kevin Love if Kyrie and, and LeBron are sitting, for example. And, you know, Ty Lue's come out and said that Kevin's going to have to take on a bigger load and he's going to play, you know, a lot more. We're going to have to work the ball through him a lot. If he says that, you know, hours before the game or a day before the game, won't everyone just take Kevin Love? Is that a problem? Does that just make it a four-man, I guess, roster with everyone taking Kevin Love in that scenario? Is that a huge problem? No, not really, because again, it comes down to that uh, that thing that I mentioned earlier. You're talking about the tournaments, and if everyone takes Kevin Love, that's fine. But there have been plenty of examples. Look, there's that situation when the Cavs went to Memphis earlier in the season, and LeBron, Kyrie, and Love all sat out, and it was like, oh, cool, let's yeah, we're going to get lots of Iman Shumpert's going to play all these minutes. We're going to get yeah, Kay Felder getting uh, getting big playing time. Um, I don't remember who else was Channing Fry, all these guys. Let's say, yeah, well, let, let's everyone load up on them. And their ownership was high. And then the Cavs got smashed by like 50 points. And none of those guys got even close to returning their value. So if you had have gone away from that, then you you put you, you would just elevate yourself up into the top 20% of a, of a contest pool automatically, depending on how you've done with the other spots. But you're right up there. So it's it's not a big deal and if everyone takes kevin love everyone takes him and then you, you differentiate in other areas it's not it's not a, a big problem I, I don't think um and it's, you have to be able to adapt to that and know if, if people are taking kevin love then if i'm in a a double up a 50 50 contest then i probably need to get get him as well so that if he crashes everyone else crashes and i'm still in the same spot and i can i can win back and push myself into that top 50 percent with my other players so what happens if is there a sort of an emergency scenario for DFS if you have LeBron in your team and he sits last minute or, you know, pop pulls? No, nah, bad luck. It's just bad luck. So you've really got to be immersed in it, like you said earlier, and be ready to pull yep. the trigger at any stage. How long do you get before sort of official lineups and game time? Well, that, that's that's part of the big problem with NBA DFS is that there's no there's no set rules. There's no set you know, announcement that they have to make at a certain time. And, and it's something that I complain about quite a bit, not only just from the DFS point of view, just from the, the common sense or optics part of it. It, it, it. There was a stage at one point, I think maybe in March, with uh, Detroit and Contavious Caldwell-Pope. Detroit had their official starting lineup and he's normally starting for them at shooting guard. And they had their lineup. And down the bottom, it, Contavious Caldwell-Pope out, personal problems. Or no, personal. You know, Contavious Caldwell-Pope out, personal 
the beat writers tweeted that out. So we got cool. KCP's out. Someone's going to start. I don't remember who it was. Reggie Bullock, um, Darren Heliard, Stan Johnson. I don't remember. Okay, cool. KCP's out. Let's start one of these guys. They come in at minimum salary. They're going to have value. And then it turns out halfway through the game, Katavis Kual Pope arrives at the arena and starts the second half because he was with his missus who was giving birth to their baby. And then he was allowed to come in and play the second half. Wow. So that, that's that's definitely frustrating when yeah, this stuff comes out. There's no – like it's not like in the NFL where it's like you've got that time frame, you've got to announce your inactives and they've got to be you – know, announce at a time you know, three hours before the game starts. These these coaches don't have to do that. It goes right down to get sometimes starting lineups, even by the teams, don't get announced until the game tips off. Until you, sometimes you have to watch it and go, who's coming on the court to start this game? You go, okay, well that's who's starting now because no one has announced it. It hasn't been hasn't been mentioned. They don't have to say who's in or out. They'll have players who are who are injured, but they still dress them in the uniform and then they might come in. The whole portion of that is a real problem for DFS and the and the gambling side of things because coaches just they don't have to so they don't they don't release the information that they need to to, to release to, to help us they don't you know, tell you starting lineups they don't um they they you know they'll have a press conference half an hour before the game who's starting oh you'll find out later on and you find out when they work walk on the court or the team announces it and then when they walk on the court, it's a different starter anyway. So it, it, there is no set rule, and it's really frustrating. Yeah, it sounds a bit strange, but I guess I guess you'd have to mandate that pretty seriously to get that sort of in a way that works for DFS players. And I'm sure that certain, uh, I guess certain people aren't too worried about that side of it as yet, but maybe exactly. in the future it'll be a, a topic. So is there any way, I, I guess me thinking out loud again, is there any way for peer-to-peer sort of i know you can play i'm sure you can play single games right you can play against one person rather than in a yep. so can you see their lineup before it's hits the deadline ever or is it only a closed scenario where basically as soon as it's locked then you get to see who you're up against um from from memory you see who you're up against you obviously can't see their lineups until it's locked but you can see who you're playing against once once you are into the contest okay because i'm just thinking about sort of the bet fairs of the world the exchanges where if you want to go on and bet against a horse or bet against a team or bet against an over-under, things like that, you can. I'm just trying to think if there's any sort of equivalent with DFS where it might be, you know what, I've got these five players, I want to play a $50 head-to-head match on DFS in an exchange style and then someone else can come in and pick five players and go against it and you might get, I mean, different odds or things like that. I'm just wondering if the DFS industry are sort of moving down any sort of new technology, new games, anything like that, which would make it a bit more exciting and more enticing for not, not not only casual players but the professionals as well because if you let's say you didn't like James Harden for some reason and you didn't like another player a high profile player you might want to say you know what I'm just going to float it out there that I'm going to go against these guys and and other people can come in and say this guy doesn't have Harden he doesn't have you know LeBron I'm just you know I'm definitely going to go and jump in and, and play at that situation nothing like that is available in DFS no, you can't see who people have, have got in their lineups. You can obviously avoid the the player themselves or you know, the, the the user themselves, but you can't see who they've got in their lineup because obviously it can get changed anyway. So you could put your lineup in there and then you know, a minute before lock go and change it anyway. So the the lineup only gets revealed once once uh, the games are locked. So you can't see who you can see your opponent, but you can't see who they who they're using. I don't I don't really see them changing something like that because it does take away. It, doesn't, it takes away, I guess, some of the, the level of edge you can get, but it also leads to um, confusion with that, you know, being able to just 
completely, you can put a dummy line up in for the whole time and then one minute before just put a whole new one in and that changes things as well. So part of the, the skill and the challenges is trying to work out what players are going to be owned, who's going to use what and, and, and go with it from that. And you know, if you added that party where you could see lineups and then they just change, it would just, it would be, uh, it would be against the um, the fish, so to speak. The the casual users would um, hurt a lot more yep. from that, I think. Yeah. What about draft? Obviously, you got draft at the start of the season and things like that. Are there offerings where you can sort of have a draft situation where you go first and take Westbrook, I go next, take LeBron, so on and so forth? Or is it simply a closed scenario where you pick your team and it's locked in at, at lockout time? No, that that is that is starting now as well. There's a company uh, called called Draft themselves that that do that. Um, you have you know, two player, three player, four player, and you pick it that way. Your first pick, second pick, third pick, and and build your teams that way. No salary cap, but based on the uh, the old standard fantasy draft format, and then go head to head. And that's something that is starting to take off now. I believe that that company Draft was just purchased by a UK. Yeah, Paddy Power. Company. Betfair, Paddy yeah. Power. That's yeah, that's them. Yeah. So Paddy Power purchased them and they, they were small. They used to advertise on my podcast actually when they were just starting out. And yeah, obviously that's starting to take off with a pretty significant investment from Paddy Power. So yeah, that is something that is coming in and it is a it is a really interesting way. And you know, I I, I think it's something that could that could really work just because you don't have that that issue of um it bought lineups or or generate people generating multiple entries that that goes away in that sort of a scenario because as soon as the first picks made then everything just changes and you can't plan for that with pre-bought lineups or or software generating optimal things that you just can't do it yep yeah it's more you know person versus person uh, rather than man and computer versus you know someone else in their computer so i guess on that line what is your what what has to be your coverage for college basketball then obviously you go in deep and in depth with the the nba stuff is there any sort of coverage you have to do for college basketball or do you do any um yes and no like i don't watch as much college basketball during the season as i'd like but this portion of the year it's a lot it's me reading uh, a lot of stuff, so you know, reading things by guys like um, yeah, Kevin O'Connor's a, a guy that I, I read a lot of, all the Draft Express stuff, Mike Schmitz's videos, going back and watching past games, yeah, just listening to, to smart people talk uh, about these prospects, guys like you know, Sam Bassini, I, I listen to a, a lot with his podcast, um, uh, Cole, Cole Swicker's another guy who's got a couple of NBA Draft podcasts, I listen to those guys a lot and really start to get into it now and get a base on all these uh, prospects that are coming in. And that really helps. And you know, as I said earlier on, back at the start of the show, having an understanding of what every player is, what their strengths are, how they work. And then you've got this new incoming class of 60 blokes that come into the league. And I've got to start getting an understanding of that. So once we hit May, it's me researching these guys, how they fit with their teams, how they move onto their teams. And then I, I go over to uh, Las Vegas Summer League each year as well and watch them in their summer league environment, keep an eye on some of these you know, lesser-known players that might take three, four years to really start to you know, become impactful and, and speaking to people over there. So that's the portion of my you know, college college research is you know, May, June, July, going back over this stuff and and forming my opinions, whereas during the season I, I just listen to stuff and, and hear the names and, and start to build it but really get into it and start forming my own opinions at, at this time of the year. So what are some of the things you're listening for in those 
podcasts and listening to some of those people or what are the, some of the things you're reading to find out? Is it just, I guess, the the upside on some of these players and what their projections are supposed to be in year one versus year three and year five? Or what are the, some of the things that you're sort of interested in uh, from those different sources? Well, we have our, our own formulas for um, converting college and international stats to rookie year stats and then how that progresses to second, third year, all that sort of stuff, conversion rates. So I've done all that for the top 100 prospects already. So I've got an idea what their fantasy stats will look like. Obviously, that's team independent because we don't know where they're going. But what I, I try to listen to or, or read with these um, um, guys that, that I listen to is you know, what are the players' strengths and weaknesses? How does that then fit into the current NBA environment? And then when they get drafted, how does that fit to their current team and what they're going to be asked to do for that team? Are they going to have this weakness that is going to be a real problem based on what their role is going to be with their new team? Or is it something that it's not going to matter? So you know, a point guard, say, for example, you know, Kyrie Irving wasn't in Cleveland, but a point guard going to Cleveland doesn't doesn't need to have doesn't need to be ball dominant and be this awesome passer because they've got LeBron there. So they have to have a different set of skills. They need to be a scorer. They need to be able to do different things. They, they work as a secondary ball handler versus as a primary ball handler. But you go to another team and those skills might not translate into that same spot. So there is a there is a lot of stuff that you want to look at, but it's more just getting an overall picture of the player. Where do they, what do they excel at? Are they a really good rebounder? Are they an awesome shot blocker? Are they someone who scores a lot, but it's not going to be translatable to the NBA because it's based on them hitting a fluky amount of their threes in their first year when you know, they can't hit their free throws. Example was a guy, say like Brandon Ingram this year, who was a 40% three-point shooter at Duke last year, but... You know, I had my concerns given he couldn't shoot three-pointers at all in high school. He's a really bad free-throw shooter, and those things tend to align. And then he came into the NBA this year and sucked for you know, 70 of his 80 games that he played and getting that idea of what's real, what's not, and where is the development for this player. So how valuable is that insight and that information for you? Does it help your... DFS lineups at all having those rookies are they a large portion or do they impact much on your DFS lineups or are they more for the dynasty leagues and the, the long term stuff no no they, they work in DFS as well especially when they, they maybe get a surprise start because they'll come in as a cheap option and uh, but a lot of the time, a lot of the time, rookies get overvalued because it's the new, the new thing, the new, the new sexy sort of a guy. So they price, they price them up a little bit, and people over own them, and that that can be an issue as well. Expecting more out of a player. So, for example, like a Brandon Ingram, he might have been a minimum salary player all year, but he was priced at say you know, eight hundred bucks over that just because of the allure of someone new, and people would use him, and his ownership would be 15 percent higher than what it needed to be. And he would never return your five x value, so that that's being important to understand and having a realistic realistic expectation of that based on you know the current class of guys coming in. But just the historical impact of rookies is always is always uh, overestimated at the beginning of the year, and it takes a while for people to catch on to that. So how long does it take to get a handle on some of those rookies coming out? Because I'm sure whether it's you know Buddy Hield who's had a big tournament or. Some of these Kentucky guys, you know, who are coming out after only playing a handful of games sometimes, is it depending on the player or can you sort of get a good handle on them and what impact they're going to have on your fantasy season pretty early? Um, you can have a, a fairly good idea. There's always the, the couple of surprises that come out, but in general, you can. It, it's easy to look from a fantasy point of view and say, 
I don't think this guy is going to be as successful as what you might think, and this guy will be more successful. And you know, I've got a pretty good track record of being able to, to pick that sort of stuff. Like I was pretty big on, uh, on Malcolm Brogdon heading into this season, and that obviously turned out pretty well. I was obviously down on Chris Dunn and, and Brandon Ingram and Buddy Hield, and they they didn't uh, they didn't do the things that they were supposed to do. And having an understanding that it's not it's not hard to do. Um, but there's always there's always mistakes that you made you make with that no, in either direction, guys that you didn't think was necessarily going to be good. Um, but there's always a, there's a difference between a guy being a good player and being a good fantasy player as well. Say so for example, Jalen Brown in Boston, he had a really good rookie season. I was impressed with him, much better than I thought he would do. But he's a bad fantasy player; like he doesn't rack up any sort of stats and never provides enough value from season long or DFS point of view. And that, that's that's a, a big difference. Whereas there are some guys say like Chris Dunn, who was really bad and was a terrible NBA player for all of the season. But if he did get 30 minutes, then his ability to rack up three, four steals and get six assists really boosted his fantasy value. And, and it, it got high because he was forced into a situation with minutes, but you know that his ability wasn't allowing him to get minutes on a regular basis. Yep. Okay. Makes sense. So what? I don't know the answer to this question, but given the NCAA and how they handle things, I think I might. What's the... Is there any DFS for college? How does that work? Not anymore. There used to be, and it uh, got uh, shut down. They said, look, you can't... Uh, um, what was that? It just flopped, or did the NCAA come in and say, this is not going to happen? No, the NCAA said, you are. You, you, can't, uh, you can't do that. That was back maybe two years ago as part of, you know, when there was the uh, all the legal challenges. The DFS is still undergoing some of that, but not not really anymore but that was part of it it was like okay you can do this but you can't have uh, you can't have college sports anymore yeah because I, I mean on the college football side how popular that is and i guess it's sort of the same for the march madness type stuff i guess the bracket the bracketology takes over a lot of that but it still would be a, I guess it would be something that those sites probably looked at getting into and thought given all of the the regulation issues and the legal issues they were having it was just wasn't worth the fight given how the NCAA has handled uh, other legal matters in the past, so I guess it, it sort of makes some sense. So the NBA draft's coming up. It's in about it's later in June. Do you have any opinions on a couple of the top guys? Obviously, Lonzo Ball here is never out of the newspapers. His old man is never out of the the spotlight. You've obviously got Fultz and a few other guys who are sort of high up on the draft boards. Um, you got any opinions or sort of based on your sort of work so far with the rookies next year? Um, how some of those guys might go and where they might fall in the draft? Yes, so I'm super pumped for the draft. I love the NBA draft. I love looking at these guys. Uh, Lonzo Ball, yeah, look, <laughs> yeah, we all have our opinions on, on what LeVar's doing. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not sold that Lonzo's going to be a good player. I think he's got significant bust potential. And this was a stat that I brought up on the podcast the other day. Jake, I'll, I'll ask you. You might have an idea. I'd be, I'd be stunned if you'd be able to guess it straight away. But when was the last time that the first two picks in the NBA draft made an all-star game. Not in the same year, but pick number one and pick number two. When was the last time that those two players had made an all-star game? It's a great question. Uh, I mean, I could tell you one a fair few times. Two, it's been, it's been a while, I would imagine. Um, yeah, you've got me. The, the last time that the first pick and the second pick in the draft, made an all-star game. Not in the same year, just in their entire career. It was 1999. So we're talking 18 years ago. It was El- Elton Brand and Steve Francis. So you can talk about people, and this is what I talk about when people overvalue rookies and say, oh, man, 
we're going to draft Lonzo Ball. Let's trade D'Angelo Russell. Let's trade up and get this pick. Oh, these guys are definite stars. They're not because the first two picks have never been an all-star together for 18 years. The two players who did it last aren't even in the NBA anymore. So everyone who picked pick two or pick pick one back in that time, they thought they were getting a star, and they weren't. They just they just weren't. So you had those first two picks. Even if you had them as the same team, you were getting one good player and one guy who's not an all-star, and maybe not even maybe not even one that was an all-star level player. You can go back and see all the history of the number two picks that were terrible. Darko Milicic obviously is one of those guys that stand out. Hashim Thabit, like these picks at number two, they or any pick doesn't work out. There's such high bust potential, but everyone seems to look at these guys and go, not stud, we have to trade away all our players. I remember getting into an argument with someone saying, oh, the Suns, if they're going to get picked two, they'll draft Lonzo, let's go trade Eric Bledsoe straight away. What if Lonzo's terrible? There's a there's a distinct, probably high 15% chance that he's terrible. Yeah, And that's the same you could say for anybody in that first round. Josh Jackson, any of these guys, they could be terrible. Markel Fultz could be bad. He could be Anthony Bennett. I don't think he is. I'm pretty confident in Markel Fultz being a good a good player and above average starter, but I don't think he's necessarily 100% locked in to be a start. And as as we know from history, these these guys, even the first two guys, they might not be good. So that that is something that people need to look at. In terms of players that I, I like Fultz a lot, I really like Dennis Smith. Uh, junior from uh, from NC State. I think he's going to be a, a really interesting player. We can talk about his deficiencies from last year, but he was coming off an ACL injury. So we do have to bear that in mind. And yes, you can bear it in mind that, hey, he's had an ACL, that's bad. But the fact that he was able to do what he did as he recovered from an ACL injury was pretty impressive. And he was like a number one or number two prospect before the ACL. So I really like him hitting up. And um, yeah, guys like Jonathan Isaac, um, Frank Nilakina, I'm, I'm a pretty big fan of, of those sort of guys in that top 10 zone as well. I know there's very limited betting. Is there any sort of DFS-style stuff on the draft, or is there any sort of, other than a interested fan watching on, will there be any investment on your side with the draft? No, no nothing like that. Not that I've seen. There are things we can go in and uh, you know, submit your mock draft and your accuracy. You might win a T-shirt or something like that, but I've never seen yeah. anything that's uh, really uh, significant. Look, there might be... Uh, player prop bets, you know, will Lonzo Ball be, you know, over under pick, you know, one and a half or something like that. And, yeah, as you get further down the draft, you can get a little bit more edge out of that, but not something I've ever I've ever looked into. I'm looking at it more as a as an entertainment thing and a and a, let's see how these players fit, how does this make sense, and then trying to translate that into into fantasy information because people doing their, you know, doing dynasty leagues, they'll often have their, rookie draft, you know, two days after the NBA draft. So I've got to be putting out that information pretty much straight away. That's why I've done all my player projections already for these guys. And then that will be fine-tuned as we head through, you know, August, as we start to bring all the players together with free agency, but having an idea of how... And you know, when you look at... that, I've got the top 100 prospects, and you look at the list of who is the most fantasy-friendly, it doesn't go in terms of how these guys are going to get drafted. Like Michael Fultz was maybe the 15th guy. Ball was like the sixth guy. Players like Josh, Josh Jackson was maybe 70th on that list. So it, it doesn't necessarily line up. And then it, then it comes down to fantasy value versus minutes versus role growth and all that sort of stuff is to try and uh, determine how these players are going to pan out. Yep. Okay. What about any trades on draft day or anything like that? Do you foresee any possibilities with that? Or these players aren't sort of bona fide stars necessarily who are worth... Uh, mortgaging some picks. As we've seen in the past, it hasn't necessarily worked out for the, the Brooklyns of the world. 
Yeah, I don't see it happening. I, I don't see Boston trading that pick one. I don't see Jimmy Butler getting moved. I don't see Paul George getting moved. I don't see – there'll be some trades. There'll be some you know, minor, minor trades. We saw it last year with the Suns and the Kings, you know, swapping uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich and and, uh, and those picks for the Suns to move up in, into pick eight. And you saw it a couple of years ago with the Hawks and the Knicks, you know, switching uh, Jaron Grant for Tim Hardaway during the draft, you know, Kelly Oubre as a trade also with between Washington and Atlanta, just that sort of a level – of thing, I don't see superstar movement. I don't see any. I don't see Butler and George are obviously the two big names. I can't see Boston parting with pick one. I don't see either of those guys getting moved at the draft. There'll be more lower level stuff. I guess we'll find out pretty soon. I have one more DFS question before I ask you a couple of general questions. Obviously, your NBA acumen's pretty high up there, so I want to touch on a couple of things uh, before we finish. So. If I was to ask you who's the greatest DFS NBA player of all time, who would that be? Um, of all time. Um, it, it's hard to go past Westbrook, especially with what he's done this season, what he did in uh, the end of or the start of 2015 when uh, Durant was out with that uh, foot injury. The numbers that he was putting up were were ridiculous. He was just consistent. Like Harden was pretty good this year, but Westbrook was just dropping 70, 75 points pretty much every single day. And the salary got to levels I'd never seen before. You're talking about high-priced guys, normally at 12000 He was sitting at like 14000 at times. Just prices that made him not a value option at all. And then somehow he still was able to bring back value and just keep churning it out on a consistent basis. So it is hard to go past Westbrook. But maybe that's, uh, maybe that's recency bias uh, chiming in. Yeah, perhaps. And what about on the value side and maybe the last couple of seasons? Who have you used or who have you had in your lineups quite often who consistently was undervalued and just sort of, you know, ground out profits for you over that time? Is there any one or two players that stick out? Not not that I can think of, but um, there are there are players who people um, discount quite quickly and that can lead to their ownership percentage dropping and their salary dropping quicker than it than it should. And there are, there are certain players like that. One guy that was like that for a while was uh, Nicola Batum uh, for the Hornets and when he was with the Trailblazers, his, uh, his uh, faith or the faith that people had in him would drop pretty quickly. So that could be a, a way to go. But I'm very much of the mindset of... Yeah, people are and people are quite reactionary, and I'm sure this happens in the in the betting world as well. Is that someone will, will play Anthony Davis, or and they'll have a, a bad game, or Davis will get injured, and they'll say never using him again. Killed me. He's on my do not use list. Can't ever roster him. I go, you just you're just losing money by by having that mindset. Like it's you've got to be able to reset it every day. You can't say this is my favorite player. I'm playing him. In in general, the way that as much as I love the NBA and love watching it, but these are just sets of numbers with a face attached to it and you've got to look at them as numbers rather than rather than a, as this is the player that I like or oh, I hate Carmelo Anthony I'm never going to use him well that's cool but what if he falls down and becomes a $5,000 player then it becomes absolute no-brainer and you use him and you do it even though you don't like his personality for whatever for the fact that he wears a long sleeve jumper under his under his uniform whatever it is but that sort of mindset is is a, is a losing mindset I think yeah okay Three more questions before I let you go. Jordan LeBron, NBA Finals, and Sam Hinkie. So we mentioned a little bit before about the draft pick scenario and potential of that happening. Do you have any thoughts on, in general, Sam Hinkie and how he went about it uh, in his time? Obviously, you've probably seen in the DFS world certain players with a contrarian attitude, and Sam Hinkie probably falls into that sort of bucket. Uh, any thoughts on, on his approach to sort of managing an NBA franchise? Yeah, I loved it. I, I loved what he did. He obviously made mistakes 
uh, at time here. The Jolly Local Four pick hasn't worked out, but I don't think there's anyone who was in that spot that wouldn't have picked him. He was all about trying to get uh, trying to get talent, and yes, you know, picking the centre three years in a row probably not ideal, but we didn't know what was happening with Joel Embiid at that point, whether he would ever be able to come back when uh, when Okafor selection was made. Didn't work out. He probably should have gone a little bit harder in terms of getting a, a decent point guard in free agency at some point. But the moves he's made have been fine. That The Kings pick swap was obviously worked out in their favour this year. They've got a 2019 unprotected pick coming from the Kings. The Michael Carter-Williams trade, they've got an unprotected first from the Lakers coming next year. And the Lakers are going to be terrible. So that's a potential, another top three pick for Michael Carter-Williams, who honestly, he might not even be in the league in two years' time. Um, everything that I, I was, you know, there, were, there were mistakes, but in general, the the moves that Hinky made made sense. Now, maybe he approached a little bit too much, like I just mentioned about talking about fantasy, about you know, these guys are a set of numbers without faces and names and personalities, and, and that's a problem. But you can't say that the players don't like him. You hear everything that Embiid will go on and talk about with Hinky, and you know, guys like you know, Robert Covington, Rashawn Holmes, uh, TJ McConnell that, that Hinky gave this opportunity to. They would have to be really thankful of what he did, and I'm always critical of people who are who are not results driven, but ignore ignore the process. Not to use that term um, deliberately, but Hinkies was about using yeah, using the process to give him the best chance of getting the result. And if it didn't work, it didn't work. But what he did, I thought, was the right method to to going about. Doing it, and I'm, people talk to it. Oh, yeah, you, you're instilling a losing culture in this team. It's all too young. Jacob, I, I, don't, I don't believe in that. I, I, these players are all are all winners. They win every game they play in high school. They win all these games in college. They don't come into the NBA for two years and then all of a sudden forget what it's like to win, and forget oh, we, we don't have a veteran a veteran leader on this team. It will, experiencing that veteran leadership at times are. Uh, are a little bit overrated. Look, you saw it last year here in the AFL with the with the Bulldogs winning the premiership. No grand final players in that team. You know, one of the youngest teams in the league, and that didn't matter because you know, once if you build it up internally, it, it's I don't know. I just I find the criticisms of Hinky really curious. Congratulations on the Bulldogs, by the way. Um, Thank you. Percentage chance of Hinky getting another job in the next say three to five years. Um. I don't know if he wants a job, to be honest, in, in the NBA. Um, I, I would say it's pretty high, though. If he is interested, I, I would say someone would go back, to, especially with the way things are, are panning out for the Sixers at the moment. I think that he will. Uh, I think he'll get a job somewhere. Yeah, it sounds like he'll be on the right side of uh, of history on that one. So Jordan versus LeBron. One minute on that. What's your thoughts there? I think that they're the clear best two players. Um, I'm still a Jordan guy marginally, but it's really close. And if I think if anyone comes to you and says that it's clear cut or that it's or that it's laughable that you compare them, I think they are wrong. You, you have to, to me, they're, they're clearly the best two players and you could make an argument for either of them. I would still have Jordan marginally ahead, but LeBron's got four, five, maybe, maybe eight more years of his career left. And by then, this might not even be a discussion. Yeah, it seems to be going that way. Obviously, recency bias, but he sort of looks like he's going to be able to do it all on many different teams, different shapes and sizes. So uh, I guess we'll see. And it seems like the level of competition in the finals that he comes up against uh, compared to what Jordan had is is a little bit different. But obviously, we'll see. One more question before I let you go, and I really, really appreciate all of your time. NBA finals, how do you see it playing out? What do you expect uh, uh, coming up? 
I uh, I think the Warriors will uh, I think the Warriors will smack them. I think that they'll get them in five. Um, the Cavs have been super impressive, obviously, but I just feel like the Warriors have been going in second gear for the majority of these playoffs. I just feel like they haven't even put the foot down, and you get the feeling that the Cavs they were deliberately you know, putting the foot on the Celtics and, and killing them, and, and rightfully so. But you feel like the Warriors just weren't actually going that hard. And they were you know, limiting guys like Andre Iguodala. He was playing like 18 minutes a game in that Spurs series. Durant missed some time against Portland. And when the going gets tough, like Iggy will go and play 35 minutes. And you know, Durant and Curry will play 40. They won't play the 31 or 32. I just feel like the Warriors have got multiple years to go up. And, um, yes, LeBron's ridiculous. He's been just at the age of 32. The stuff that he's doing is is crazy, but I just think that the Warriors will just will uh, will smack him. Okay, we'll see. I think yeah, even if LeBron has 35, 12 and 12, it might not be enough. But I guess we'll certainly see. Josh, where can uh, listeners find you? Can you want to run through uh, some of the spots where they can reach you on, on Twitter, your podcast, and the site, and those type of things? Okay, so on Twitter, you can find me at RedRock underscore B-Ball. That's, uh, that's my Twitter account there and uh, our Basketball Monster Twitter account where we announce all the uh, – you know, we uh, try and be as on top of – or not, we are on top of all the news that comes down. So, you know, lineup changes, injury information gets tweeted out immediately over there. That's at, at Basque Monster, and that's where you can find it, which is going to be helpful for DFS players and for, uh, and for sports bettors as well. That information that comes out, we tweet all that stuff out. As it happens, of course, basketballmonster.com is the, is the website that, uh, that all my projections and stuff is at. And you can search for my podcast wherever you find good podcasts. And that is Locked On Fantasy Basketball, even when you find bad podcasts. I imagine it's there too. <laughs> Certainly alongside bad ones like this one, I'm sure. So <laughs> thank you very much for your time. Really, really appreciate it. All the best with uh, the rest of the season. Enjoy the finals. Enjoy the draft. And, um, yeah, it was great having a chat, all things uh, DFS and basketball. No problem, Jake. Thank you. 